Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Matthew 25, verse 14, let's get in. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. So we have a master and servants. We've got the, this object here of we've got a master entrusting to his servants uh, uh, large amounts of money as he's going away on a trip. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. So notice that it was what they had already determined, or it was what they had already done that determined what they could be given. I'll say that again. It was what they had already done that determine what they could be given. I know we've all at some point in our lives have said this, uh, God will not give you more than you can bear. And that's because you have proven what you can bear. You have proven what you can handle. Whatever you have at your disposal right now, you prove to the, the owner, to the manufacturer, to God, at some point, this is what I can handle. This is what I can tolerate. This is what I can be faithful with. So at the end of the day, who, do we, who can we complain to about what we have? Ourselves. If you want to have more, you have to what? Handle more. What we, how we handle what we have determines what can be given, determines what can be added. And let me just go ahead and clue you in on this. Your God, your king, wants to bring increase to you. He wants to bring increase to you. He's not trying to withhold anything from you. He's not trying to keep you at a base level. He's not trying to keep you stuck somewhere. He's not trying to limit you or restrict you. He is trying to get more to you. He's trying to add to you. God is a God of increase. God is a God of not even just addition, but you'll see in this verse, he's a God of multiplication. God is always trying to get more to us. You need to know that. God is a God of increase, but increase comes by investment. Because if I increase something that hasn't proven to be able to handle it, they will lose it. If I bring increase to something that hasn't proven to be able to manage it or handle it appropriately, they'll lose it. And so God is an investor God is someone that is trying to bring increase and trying to add to our lives because he knows what will come in on the other end. He knows that if he can get something in your hands and you use it wisely and faithfully, you're going to bring increase to his kingdom. You're going to add to his kingdom. And when you bring increase to God's kingdom, guess what he can do? He can add to you. He can add to you. So this is a message of faithfulness. This is a message of what are you doing with what you have, right? We've heard it all along. If you'll be faithful with little, you'll be proven to be faithful with much. But if I don't handle the little that I have, see, we all want trees, but we don't want seed, right? Well, what comes from seed? Trees. 
But we want to be given the finished product, and God wants to know what will you do with the ingredients of it? What will you do with it in its smallest form, in its smallest state? Because if we won't manage a seed, we'll never be able to handle a tree. If you can't manage a seed in its smallest form, we'll never be able to handle it in its largest, in its greatest form. And so he gives out these talents, five, two, and one, dividing in proportion to their abilities, and he leaves on his trip. The servant, in verse 16, who received the five bags, began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Now after a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used the money. It says actually how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more. So he has ten now. Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. So now he has four. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Together. Then the servant, with the one bag of silver, came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. Fear never motivates you to increase. Fear will never motivate you to increase. There's a lot of fear in the world today. There's a lot of fear of all kinds of things today. People are motivated by fear. And the decisions that we make out of fear never bring increase. They always bring a deficit. Every time. Fear always takes, it never adds. Nobody has ever said, I was better off because I was afraid of that thing. Doesn't work that way. Fear will always strip you. Fear will always take from you. Fear will always leave you worse than it found you. Fear will always leave you with less than you had before you were engaged in fear. You do not want to live motivated and led by fear. You do not. It doesn't produce anything in your life. But he said, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. And so he's responding as if the master would be be 
would, would be um, amazed that he didn't lose the money. Not that he didn't gain anything to the money. But the, the, he's thinking the master would, be, um, would find it acceptable that he was able to return what was given to him. But look at the master's response. The master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Remember, he didn't lose the money. He still has what was given. He just didn't bring increase to what was given, right? But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant, and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. So he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. You can be assured of this, that if you are motivated and led by fear, you will lose what you have. It's usually fear that motivates us to hold on, to keep, to maintain. Why? Because there is risk involved in investing. There's risk involved in working what I've been given. There's risk involved. And it's this risk, it's this nature of risk that the enemy wants to dangle over you to make you feel like you're doing better off by holding on to rather than taking the risk. The enemy wants you to think that by using what I have, I could lose what I have. But the master made sure that if you don't use what you have, you will lose what you have. The master ensured that the the quickest way to losing what you have at your disposal, what you have at your resource right now, the quickest way to losing it is by not using it. Even by keeping it, he lost it even by keeping it. And so there's some things here that the Lord is trying to show us, that Jesus is trying to show us through this parable. Again, we're talking about master mindsets. Master mindsets. How do I have a mindset that is in alignment with the master? Ultimately, that's what this master was trying to do. This master was trying to pass on his approach and the way that he utilized his wealth or his finances. Now, again, we're not just talking about money, although, of course, this applies to finances, it applies to money, but this applies to anything that the Lord or that the master puts in your hand. It could be a relationship. It could be a job. It could be parenting. Um, It could be a scenario or a circumstance like what we have even been met with this year. But whatever you have at your disposal, know this, you will give an account of it one day. You can be assured of that. It will not slip by the master. It will not get past the Lord. He will ask for an account of it. How did you handle 
and you can fill in the blank. How did you handle those children? How did you handle that opportunity? How did you manage that influence I gave you? And again, we can all write it off as small, insignificant, uh, doesn't mean anything, doesn't even you know, register on the radar. This, this doesn't even matter to God, but you would be surprised at what matters to God. I said you would be surprised at what matters to God. You would be surprised at what one day we'll have to stand before him and give an account for, and we'll say, God, I didn't even know you noticed that. I didn't even know you were watching over that. Sure, we have all the big things in life that we think God is looking for. But what about those small things? What about the ones that seem insignificant? What about the ones that seem like just a seed that could easily be cast aside? What about the opportunities, the conversations, the moments, the, 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 the opportunities that are placed in our lives that can seem like they could easily be cast aside? It was even the smallest talent, the smallest investment that the master made that he was looking for a reward from. He was looking for a return from. Notice from every single level of investment, whether it was one talent, two talents, or five talents, he was expecting a return. The first two received the response of their master that was in line with the return that they brought. The first one turned five into 10, and he got a response of what? Enter the joy of your Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, at the end of our lives, you know, that's what we're gonna hear. We're not gonna hear well done, good and faithful teacher. Well done, good and faithful owner of that company. Well done, good and faithful pastor. Well done, good and faithful husband. No, we're all gonna hear the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, servant is the highest honor. Servant is the highest honor. I'm reminded in Joshua chapter one when God was speaking to Joshua and he was turning over the regime or the rule of Israel, the the leading of God's people out of Egypt and into the promised land from Moses to Joshua. We know Moses was able to get them out, but Moses couldn't get them in. It's one thing to come out of something, but it's another thing to go into the thing of God. And he was able to get them out of Egypt, but he was not able to lead them into the promised land partially because of their grumbling and complaining and really just disobedience, but also his disobedience uh, uh, excluded him from walking into the promise. Moses even approached God and said, man, I'm sorry, I'll get it right. And he said, don't ever bring this up to me again. I'll let you look at it, but you will not enter it and you will not take my people in. And so God had to do what? Find a man that would do it. Find a man that would be able to respond and listen to his voice and lead his people in. Well, in that moment when he's talking to Joshua, he simply says this, Moses, my servant, is dead. That's all he says about Moses. 
You're thinking of all that Moses put up with, you think he would have gotten like at least a chapter, right? Uh, Of how awesome and faithful, what a great leader, what a great servant. Man, look at what he put up with, with these crazy Israelites. They're grumbling and they're complaining. How many times did Moses stand in the gap for these people, right? How many times did he keep God from just destroying all of them? And God even told him that, get out of the way. I'll start over with you. Man, I, if it were me, I'd have been like, go right ahead. <laughs> That'd be, that would be a pain off of me. That would be fine by me. But Moses stood in the gap and said, no, 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 no. Withhold your wrath. Withhold your anchor, right? Show mercy on them. Stood in the gap. And then those ended up being the individuals that eliminated him from being able to enter in. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And that bothered me for a long time. Like, come on, God, you can do better than that. I mean, this man showed out. This man put up with a lot until I realized that that was the highest honor and the highest title he could have given Moses. In that moment, in that one word, Moses, my servant, is dead. He, he highlighted the greatest aspect of any leader is their ability to serve is their ability to recognize I'm first a servant. See, starting out, when we're talking about master mindsets, you have to realize we all start out as servants. And really, you never leave the role of servant. You'll never leave that role. It, every leader is first a servant. Leadership is not top down, it's bottom up. It's how do we serve those around us? Serving has to be a part of of our mastering. You'll never master what you can't serve. You'll never lead what you can't serve. And let me just go ahead and let you know before you write this off as some kind of leadership seminar and I'm excluded, this isn't about me. You're all leaders because leadership is influence. If you carry any influence in your life, guess what? You're a leader. You might influence children. You might influence your children. You might influence a spouse. You might influence a home. You might influence uh, in a job, whether you're influencing from the top down or the bottom up, there's influence. You might have a sphere of coworkers or a team under you. Whatever capacity you're in, you have influence. Great or small, you have influence. And you can have influence for good or bad. You have been given something that you carry influence over. And it starts with being a servant. They both received the same commendation. The one that got 10 and the one that got four were both brought on the same playing field. Well done, good and faithful servant. So what we have at our disposal or the resource or the the level of, of influence that we have doesn't give us a higher ranking or a higher level. We're still operating on the same level. Servant. 10, 5, 2, 1. It doesn't matter. We recognize that we are a servant first. Notice that God is not investing or giving 
He's not giving to these servants. He's investing in these servants. Now, this is what you have to understand the difference between. Because a lot of us give things. But God wants us to switch a master mindset doesn't think about what he gives. He thinks about what he invests. Right? There's a difference. When I give, I don't expect a return. But when someone invests, he knows there's a return on the back end. He knows that there should be increase. He knows that something should be added to. He knows that there should be an expectation of getting back more than what I put in. That's investment. So let me ask you, are you giving your time or are you investing your time? Are you giving your finance or are you investing your finance? You see the difference. There's a difference. Am I giving time? Because look, we give all kinds of things that we never get to make an account for or never expect a return from. But when you recognize I'm making an investment in this area, how many do I have that are now all of a sudden homeschool moms? Where's all my homeschoolers? One over there, one there, one there, one there. Yep. And I know there's way more than that in our church. In fact, there's so many more that our church has started a homeschool connects group for all of our homeschool moms. Yeah, we need that information. Y'all need help, don't you? Y'all are like, I'm way in over my head. Well, hey, understand this. You're not giving, you're investing. You're investing now. You're investing. I was reading the other day that uh, somebody said that they uh, told their child they would give them a dollar for every book they read. Give their child a dollar for every book they read. And he said, his son came to him about halfway through the year and said, hey, dad, I've already got $120 of your money. $120. Read 120 books. I don't know what kind of books that kid was reading. Y'all need to step the book game up. You need to get the Dr. Seuss stuff out of his hands and give him some Charles Dickens. Or You've gone through 120 books halfway through a year. You're doing something wrong. You must be doing the Where's Waldo books or something. Every time we went to the library, we were getting Where's Waldo and, uh, you know, the stuff that you had no words in it. We got in trouble. We were like, we'll, we'll, we'll beat the system. We're not reading nothing. We're looking for a guy in a striped shirt and glasses. Uh, and so he said, well, the joke's on him because I didn't give him $120. I just made the greatest investment of my life. Because what the kid is learning through the books that he's reading, hopefully, is going to return an investment. Number one, he's teaching them to be able to sit down and read a book. How many kids know how to do that? How many adults know how to do that today? Right? If you can't scroll it, we ain't reading it, right? If we accounted for how much reading we do of people's posts, we probably could, it would probably equal a lot of books. I love it when people say, well, I don't read. Are you sure about that? Because every time I see you, you scrolling through Facebook or you're posting something. That's a lot of reading. You're reading. It's just not in paragraph form and chapter by chapter and page by page, right? 
But that dad realized I'm making an investment in that child's life. I'm not giving him $120. I'm investing in his life because of what I'm going to get in return. You, gotta, you have to picture this differently. Masters think differently than servants. We are always starting out as servants, and we are always going to continue as servants, but masters have a different mentality when it comes to investment. So a servant might be thinking, I'm just giving, but the master says, what am I investing? Let me just give you some comparisons here of master mindsets versus servant mindsets. Master mindsets versus servant mindsets. A mastermind, uh, a master receives correction, but a servant ignores correction. That's different. That's different. A master says, I, I want to be corrected. See, see, someone told me one time, what you don't correct, you don't care about. We only correct what we care about. Right? If I'm walking through Publix and I see trash on the floor, probably not picking it up. I'm just being honest with you. But if I walk through these hallways and see trash on the floor, I'm picking it up. Why? Because I care about it. I care about how this church looks. I care about what this place, and I'm not just walking past a piece of trash on the floor because I care about it. So what? I care about it so much so that I'll correct it. We correct what we care about. Well, masters can receive correction. Servants, they ignore it. Sometimes they even avoid it. They know the conversations to steer away from because it's gonna end up in what needs to be adjusted or corrected. Masters embrace challenges. Servants avoid challenges. Masters embrace challenges. Why? Because they know I'm going to grow from this. I'm going to become greater. This is an opportunity to solve something, right? Masters learn from failures, but this is a good one. Masters learn from failures, but servants become identified with failure. There's a difference. Servants will mess up and then become identified by their mess ups, by their failures. But a master says, I'm not gonna be identified by it. I'm gonna learn from it. If I mess up, that's the last time I'll mess up because I'm gonna learn from it. I'm gonna be better next time. Just giving you some examples. Masters versus servants. Masters take risks. Servants will avoid risks at all costs. Masters will take a risk. They live their lives as risk takers. But servants will avoid risks. They'll find a way to not have to put that much on the line. And they'll think about what they're going to lose more than what they'll gain. They'll highlight more of what will it cost me rather than what could I possibly get in return. That's a different, that's a different mindset. The last one I have for you is uh, masters will give maximum effort. 
Servants will learn to do the bare minimum. Masters give max effort every time. But servants, man, they'll just try to figure out what's the least I can do to get away, right? What's the least amount of input? What's the least amount of investment? What, what's, the, what's that little threshold so I can just, just get over the line so I can be in play, but I didn't have to, to, to put forth that much effort? So masters have to have a different mentality. We're talking about master mindsets. If I don't change how I think, I don't change how I live. Now, this is the interesting thing to me. The master wasn't expecting anything of the servants that he wasn't willing to do himself. If we're not careful, we'll read this like the master uh, gave these talents to his servant because he didn't want to do the work himself of multiplying the investment and multiplying the talent. He, he just, he delegated that to get it off his plate so he could just go on his long little trip, his long little vacation. But that's not what's happening here. When the master gave talents to the servants, he was taking the same level of risk he was expecting the servants to take with the talents. Think about it. He's putting five, two, and one bags of silver, these these amounts of talents, in these servants' hands with no guarantee that they're going to produce the return that he knows that they could bring. This master knows how to get a return. This master knows how to invest. This master knows how to take those risks. And he's taking a risk by putting this amount of talent in the servant's hands. Now, he didn't take unreasonable risk. And what I mean by that is he didn't put the five bags of silver in the hand of the one that he gave the one, right? Because he knew, I can only give you what you have proven to be able to handle previously. So according to those measurements, according to those proportions, he gives to the servants five, two, and one with no guarantee. That was a risk for him. They could have taken the five and spent it on themselves selfishly. They could have taken the two and and, and blown it and wasted it on, on investments that weren't wise. Or as we see a servant do, take the one and bury it because they're afraid of losing it. They're afraid of not, you don't become an investor by having fear of taking a risk. You don't become a master by holding on to and maintaining and keeping. You become a master by using what you have, uh, employing what you have, investing what you have, risking what you have so that you can gain more. And so, he is not expecting of them anything that he wouldn't already do himself. This is the other thing that we have to understand about a master. Is masters understand that faithfulness is not about what you have. It's about what you become. I'll say that again. Masters understand that faithfulness is not about what you have. It's about what you become. Now, this is the interesting factor out of all of this. Because again, using money as this object here, we could come to understand this, that 
essentially what the master is after. What's the end goal? What, how do we end and say, okay, this was a win. We've accomplished something. We could say, well, we got more money, right? That's the whole point is that we get more money. But I want to show you something in the New King James, how it reads. And I think the master was actually going after a different goal. I don't think the master was so much caught up in what they had and what was, what was at their disposal. But there was something even far greater. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 20, let's start with verse 20. This is in the New King James. It reads this way. He who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Everyone say servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler. Everyone say ruler. Over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Verse 22, he also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Everyone say servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler. Everyone say ruler over many things. It seems that the master is actually more interested in who the servants had become than he was with the money than with what the money had become. He wasn't interested in getting five and turning it into ten. He was interested in taking a servant and turning him into a ruler. And this is what the master is looking for. What is God looking for? I can tell you right now, today, God is more interested in what you are becoming through the process than what you have in the process. Faithfulness is not just about what you have, it's about what you become. It's about how you increase you. God wants to take servants and he wants to, he wants to, to become masters, rulers. You were a servant, now you're a master. Why? Because you think like me. The greatest way that a servant can become a master is when he learns to think like the master. We don't have anything that shows us through this story that God gave separate instructions to the one with the five and the one with the two than what he gave to the one with the one. So there was something that was inherently, uh, uh, that, that was already there in his DNA, in his nature as a master that told them he's gonna want something back in return. He's going to want me to take this and increase it. He's going to want me to take this and use it and work it and invest it so that there can be a return back. 
He didn't hold that back. Uh, you know, he, he didn't go to the one with the five and the one with the two and say, hey, I'm not going to tell this to the other guy. I'm going to let him figure it out on his own. But for you guys, I want you to know, I want you to go and invest that and see what you can get out of it. Let's just see if the other guy can figure it out. Nope. He's not playing any tricks. We all know how the master works. We all know how the master thinks. We all know what God and his character and who he is, what he's looking for from each one of us. He's looking for more. But in that, he's looking to see what you will become in the process. Will we remain a servant? Will we remain just one that just barely scrapes by? Or, or will we learn to think like a master? We are more profitable in the kingdom of God when we learn to think like God thinks. See people the way God sees people. See situations the way God sees situations. See challenges and obstacles and opposition the way God sees challenges, obstacles, and opposition. What if we could face life head on the way the master does? And we've all had moments where we lived in fear. I heard someone uh, just today put it in an amazing way. If we live in fear of what God will do if we don't do something, we have just approached God with a victim mentality. We have just approached God with, how's he gonna treat me? God is not, God is not more interested in what you have than what you become. And what you have at your disposal now, what is at your, uh, what you have at, at your resource now is an opportunity to prove to God who you are. You know, the great thing about this is the matter of potential. All three of them had the same level of potential. Potential doesn't discriminate. This passage shows us. It doesn't matter if you have five. It doesn't matter if you have one. And the one with one can make up all the excuses in the world why they shouldn't do what the one with the five did. We can always look around and find someone that has more talents and more abilities, and they seem like they have more at their disposal. And we can have this conversation. Well, if I had this and if I had that. You know, my wife and I, when we first started this church, you know, after the, the honeymoon season is over. Everybody, anybody ever experienced the honeymoon season, right? Where after, you know, you start something, man, you got high hopes, high passions. Man, you're thinking about the, all you see is future. All you see is vision. I mean, people that even try to debunk you or try to tell you all the work it's going to take. Oh, man, I'm not hearing all that. You don't know what this business could do. You don't know what this marriage can do. You don't know what this step can do. Oh, we're going to do this. I'm going to build this. and We're going to have this. And all you're led by is, is vision and future and, and what is going to happen. But then once that honeymoon season's over and you get entrenched in the work and you get entrenched in the day-to-day and the routine and the, the ordinary and the insignificant stuff, it becomes easy to look around. I put it this way, vision looks ahead, not around. Vision always looks ahead. Vision doesn't look around. If I look around, I get discouraged real quick. 
I don't have enough people. I don't have enough stuff. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time, right? We just can make a whole long list of what we don't have. And that's what we did. After about, I don't know, maybe three months, that might be, that might be liberal. I don't know. It might not, might not even have taken that long to begin to look around and say, what do we get ourselves into? What are we doing? And then you just start saying, well, where's it at? And you start making this list and you give God your little list of, well, if I had the people. At that time, we were doing worship with YouTube videos. That's a nightmare for me. I remember telling God, I said, God, I've been on worship team since I was eight years old. Why in the world do we not have a worship team? Have I not planted enough seed? I should have a forest of, I should have worship teams. I should have like the first Sunday worship team and the second Sunday worship team and the third Sunday, and I just have to be turning people away. Where are they at? I just want like, you know, some little high school band person to come in. I, I didn't care what level of talent you had. Start looking around. God, we, we, need, we need money. We need space. We need a building. We need people. We need leadership. We need this. We need that. And you just start making all these, all these lists of, well, if I had. And so what do you do? Is you bury what you do have, wishing on what you don't have. Masters don't do that. Masters don't do that. God wants you to know tonight The one talent, what you do with the one will determine what you'll do with the five. And we went through seasons of one talent. Everybody does. Everybody has to prove themselves faithful. At some point, the one with the two had to prove himself faithful with one. At some point, the one with five had to prove himself faithful with two. According to the word, it was in proportion to what they had already proven to be faithful with. You don't start out with five. You look like a five. Doesn't work that way. He gives us a clear picture. The only way you get to five is using the one. And I remember we went to a conference about six months in. Went to a conference where someone ministered using what's in the box while thinking outside the box. We had done plenty of thinking outside the box. That was easy. We can all sit here and have vision and dream. And, 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 and look, eventually one day, if you don't start using what you have, it will burn out what you thought it could be. You'll get so discouraged, you won't even continue to press on. You won't even, you, you, you'll begin, it'll become so blurry of what this thing could be. It was so clear in the beginning. But now the trials of life and the, and the pressing and the working and the, and the, the using and, and, and all this gets in the way and you start to begin to wonder, can God even still use this for his glory? Can this become what I knew it could be originally? I'm telling you tonight, don't give up. If you have one, don't give up on it. We came back that weekend after that conference. And we took our one. We took our one and we started with it. And it looked nothing like what I thought it would look like. It looked nothing like what I would start with. What is on this stage today was because we used one. We used one. 
We will not get to celebrate these moments if we don't press through and push through. What are we doing with the one? I want to encourage you tonight. If, if there is something that you have at your disposal right now and you've been withdrawn and keeping it in out of fear, what will the master think? Or what if I lose it? Or what if it doesn't work out? I'm encouraging you tonight. Step out. Use what you have. Take the one and invest it. Put it to work. If you've got one friend, man, invest in the one friend. If you've got one assignment, invest in the one assignment. If you've got one, if you've got one, if you've got one, use the one. Invest the one. And in the process, not only will you get more, you'll become more. Sometimes we have what we have just because God wants to know how will you handle it? How will you manage it? How will you take care of it? I know you would take care of a church of a thousand. How will you take care of a church of ten? And I told myself early on, I said, I'm going to preach like this room is full. Because the person listening on the other end ten years from now won't know that. And they shouldn't be able to distinguish how I'm preaching today with the room versus what we started with. I remember there was one time the the audio messed up. The recording, it, it didn't even record it. And so I went in the next day on a Monday morning and re-preached my message in an empty room. I did. Didn't know it was going to be practice for quarantine, for COVID, for when we couldn't meet. And so I was literally preaching in a room all by myself. Those four messages that I preached in April all by myself. And I was thinking to myself, I practiced this nine years ago. And I did. I went in Monday morning and I preached that thing. I don't want what's in the room. But God wants to use it. God's creating something in you. He's doing something in you. You're becoming something in the process. You're becoming a better husband, a better father, a better wife, a better daughter, a better mother, a better employee, a better employer. You're becoming wiser. You're growing and you're developing what God, isn't it amazing that God would even take the risk that he takes in placing the gifts and the abilities in us with no guarantee that we'll return it to his glory? Think of all the gifts and talents that are being used for the world that God is saying, I gave that to you for my people, for my purpose, and you're not, you took what I gave you and you're using it for a complete, they will stand and be held accountable. But God in his riches and in his grace and in his mercy is still bestowing gifts and saying, it's up to you to use it. It's up to you to use it. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.